Welcome to Legal Tech Week for June 11th, 2021. This is Bob Ambrogi. I am the host of uh, this show and uh, author of the blog, Law Sites Blog, and also my other podcast, Law Next, and probably a few other things as well. Uh, and uh, we, were, we were off next week, so we probably could got a lot to talk about. Uh, before we do that, let's go around and introduce the panelists, starting from my upper left-hand corner of my screen, Nikki Black. Thanks. I am Nikki Black. I am the legal technology evangelist in my case, and also a legal tech journalist. I write regular columns for Above the Law, ABA Journal, The Daily Record, and I write weekly blog posts for the My Case blog as well. And uh, Steve. Hello, everybody. I'm Steve Embry. I, I, I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads about legal technology and innovation. We're going to chip in and get you some new internet sometimes, Steve, because you've, you've got the, the slow voice issues sometimes. It sound a little robotic, but that's okay. It's okay. We get you. <laughs> I, I am robotic. What do you think? <laughs> this is the best I can do, Bob. <laughs> uh, Joe. Yeah. Uh, Joe Patrice from Above the Law. Um, you may have also heard me on our, my, I do the show Thinking Like a Lawyer, the podcast Thinking Like a Lawyer. Uh, you may have also seen a, a crazy person attack me on Twitter for the last 24 hours. I think the, I think he's sent something like 50 tweets. So that's been fun. Uh, that's, uh, that's been my week. I missed that. What, what were you getting attacked about? Oh, Ted Frank is being a very okay. thin skinned, uh, Oh, see, I, I see other people with the recognition of, of, as soon as I say the name. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, Victor, how about you? Hi, everyone. My name is Victor Lee. I am assistant managing editor for the ABA Journal. And yeah, I was just looking at your Twitter feed just now, Joe, to see who, who you were talking about. But yeah, I, um, I get where you're coming from. I, I know from experience as well. So I feel your pain. <laughs> Victoria. Hey everyone, my name is Victoria Hutchins. I'm a Philadelphia-based reporter for ALM, where you'll usually find my articles on Legal Tech News and also sometimes on Law.com, the American Lawyer, Corporate Counsel, and ALM's other publications. I write mainly about cybersecurity, technology, and its impact on the practice and business of law. And back after three weeks of world travels, Zach. <laughs> Yeah, three weeks of world travel. I was in Costa Rica, but I will say, despite all of the beauty of Costa Rica, I am very happy to be back here with everybody. Um, hey, all, I'm Zach Warren. I'm the editor-in-chief of ALM's Legal Tech News. Uh, you'll also see my byline, similarly to Victoria, on law.com, uh, the American Lawyer, Corporate Counsel, etc. And last but not least, Molly. Hi, Molly McDonough. Good to be here today. I am a media consultant and strategist based in the Chicago area, producer of Legal Talk Today for the Legal Talk Network, and uh, formerly worked with Victor at the ABA Journal. So uh, as I said, we, we, we were off last Friday, and uh, but the, kind of the, maybe the big news last week, and, and Joe and I were both going to kind of talk about this a little bit. Joe, you, you can kick it off. I don't want to steal your story, but... Uh... I, mean, it, it, I stole yours. So, um, no, uh, <laughs> Bob, Bob actually reported these things first, but um, we didn't want to... You did it better, two. so... We didn't have two cross posts of yours, so we just used the one cross post, and I kind of repacked the other. Uh, but some legal tech companies are going public, uh, which is some news. Um, I wrote about wrote up the uh, LegalZoom uh, IPO, which obviously they've tried to do this before, but it looks like they're uh, going to go forward with this now. Um, and I kind of 
pitched this, and I think is it's accurate, is that this is the law firm that America actually uses. It is not a law firm, blah, 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 boilerplate language. But the reality is we live in a world where legal services are getting increasingly unaccessible to most people, and uh, legal Zoom fills that need. And until we rethink the profession, uh, kind of makes sense that uh, this non-law firm is uh, the hottest law firm going. Yeah. And the other one was Intap. I don't know if you mentioned that, but uh, Intap has also said it's going public. I mean, I've been trying to, I'm kind of thinking all week about why why does this matter or does it matter, I guess. And, uh, I, you know, it matters on one hand simply because it's such a rare event in, in legal tech. It's, it's only happened uh, less than, you know, I, I found two or three times. I mean, one of them was, was my case's parent, which wasn't even really a legal tech company. Uh, it, they just happened to own my case. So it's such a rare event, and it, it comes at a time when there's just so much talk uh, and it, it, about you know the the influx of investment uh, and money into legal tech, uh, uh, and it, it just seems you know significant if for no other reason that it it really underscores that uh, the the world of legal tech, uh, whatever exactly that is, uh, has has come into its own in a big way. Although I saw some, some of the discussion on Twitter this week was whether legal Zoom, Zoom should even be considered a legal tech company. Uh, and, you know, you could argue about that. And Intap, for that matter, is not exclusively uh, legal tech either. They're also in, in fintech uh, and, and some other verticals, I think. But yeah, I don't know, what other people think? Well, that's what strikes me about it is that it's rare for now. Um, to me, it kind of portends, I think you're going to see a lot more of this, maybe not like super frequent, but quarterly, yearly, what have you, because I know we've talked with Ironclad, who's taken a look at it. We've talked with Elevate, who's taken a look at it. Um, another contracts company whose name is escaping me while we're live right now. But yeah, I have a sort. Have a sort. Yep. That's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, I think increasingly, particularly as you're starting to see kind of the mid-market fall away a little bit for some of these specific areas of legal tech and there be some larger and larger companies at the top end, it's either have very high private equity investments, kind of like you're seeing with the nine figures, or the other option is go for an IPO. And it, I think it makes sense for a lot of these companies that are trying to be as big as humanly possible to go that direction, the public company route. Yeah. I, I'll just answer that question, Bob, on the legal tech, whether LegalZoom is a legal tech company. I think it absolutely is. It's the only reason it can, it can effectively uh, serve that wide public space that Joe mentioned um, at that scale uh, and make any money. Um, so, you know, it serves that base, that that whole, that 80% of the underserved, or potentially serves that 80% of the underserved population that either can't or doesn't think they can afford legal services. Yeah. And, and I said, I saw some stuff on Twitter, but actually Joe made that point in, in his article as well, that, you know, sort of, sort of taking issue with the question of whether it was even a legal tech, whether it was even a tech company, really, or just another name for a law firm. I, um, I'm going to have to get out of GameStop so that I have some money to get into these things. Um, just keep it in Microsoft or something. I thought it was kind of interesting because to see the um, announcements made last Friday, because I had written a few months ago when Ironclad, 
Ironclad announced that it had plans to go um, to go public and just kind of looking into why don't that many legal tech companies um, buy on an IPO. And speaking to some investors and some legal tech companies, they said it's a rarity because legal tech usually only meets the need of like your legal department or your law firm. And it's not like an enterprise-wide type of tool. And I thought it was like um, last week's announcements that uh, INTAP definitely seems like that's an enterprise-wide tool because it's not just used by the corporate legal department. Like Bob mentioned, is also provides like FinTech solutions. So that makes sense. LegalZoom doesn't make that type of sense like it's just and it's really geared towards like the individual so i would be really interested to see like how um what happens with it once it does go public because like molly was saying like there is underserved people that have legal needs and how like how if if they're individuals they don't have like a set legal budget like how how is um legal zoom going to grow when you have like your client base is, is people that don't necessarily have a legal budget. They don't necessarily have legal needs like every month. So it'll be interesting for me to, um, to see how that kind of grows. And I, I already think like LegalZoom already has like brand awareness because even before I started working at Legal Tech News, I had heard of like the LegalZoom because I'd seen the commercials about helping you file like an LLC easily and you know without cost but you know that's done accurately and like DocuSign I knew what that was before getting into legal sec so I definitely think it's a market for it but it'll just be interesting to see how they play out on like the big stage right well and you once you become a customer of of, of a company like this it's growing in this in all these different um has so many different tentacles I mean, what one of the things that LegalZoom is doing is you start with, you know, basic business documents, but then as your business grows, you need more and more and more. So, you know, that, you know, whether, and I think they're doing what a lot of lawyers aren't doing, which is, you know, following up with these folks, making sure that they're, um, that their needs are continually being met, even when they don't think they need something else. They're like, oh, right, I do need this type of legal services now that my company is growing, now that I have five employees, now that, you know, that I'm scaling. And so I think, you know, law, smart law firms are doing that too, you know, getting custom, um, uh, CRMs that help them track their, their past um, clients and, you know, keeps in regular touch with them to make sure their legal needs are met through their, their business life cycle. Yeah, they had huge well, brand awareness in the early days. And with uh, what's the name? Robert Shapiro, Shapiro right? Robert um, Shapiro. The OJ lawyer. Uh, I mean, they had, as their public face, and, and, and they have a vast network of of um, of, of lawyers and law. Because I, I mean, look, I've used LegalZoom. I mean, it was it was a case where um, you know I was you know, doing using it for like the estate planning and stuff, um, and I thought, oh well, you know, I I don't I don't need to hire a lawyer because I don't feel like it, and you know, I didn't want to like have to talk to many different lawyers about it. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I have some legal education, so I can probably do it myself. That was a dumb idea. Don't do it. But, you know, ultimately, um, but, you know, but, they, but but one of the things is that like, if you have, if you have like a, a question about something that you've done, or you want someone to take a look at your documents, they have lawyers that they're affiliated with, or they have that they send business to. So, you know, they have like a vast network of, 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 of lawyers that, 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 that they work with and that they send business to and whatnot. So, I mean, as far as scaling wise, I mean, there, there, there's that aspect to it too, because they have, they have those alliances in place that they can, that they can easily, that they can easily leverage. Yeah. Well, and I think as the regulations continue to um, change, it's just going to allow companies that are already set up like that, like LegalZoom, like Rocket Lawyer to pivot and start adding more services and more abilities for lawyers to utilize their services um, to reach customers or clients 
you know, with the fee sharing stuff shifting. And, um, and I think the other thing that's interesting about it is that LegalZoom is running a law firm with a business mindset, right? So that's sort of like what Molly was discussing, this idea that they're following up and they're doing CRM and they're reaching out to see if they need additional services rather than just passively waiting for their client to need to re remember their name when they need a legal service or even realize they need a legal service and reach out to that same lawyer again. Um, so I, I think that that's another, it's just an example of how once you can have non-lawyers running legal entities, how oftentimes it is much more efficient, it grows, you know, revenues increase more rapidly because lawyers just are not great business people and uh, generalizing, but we all know that's not necessarily, they just aren't, we weren't, we're not trained in that. So yeah. it'll be interesting. The, the journalist in me maybe wondered why they both announced it on like fr Friday afternoon, I think late Friday afternoon or something that it kind of came out. I don't, I don't even know if, well, I guess they did announce it, but uh, it was very, very quiet. Uh, and which you would think this at legal zoom wasn't as quiet about it i don't think but uh again both of them it was sometime friday afternoon the timing was odd i always I was you know i'm suspicious too. of things that get announced on friday afternoons it usually means they don't want anybody to know about it yeah i was wondering if it was a function of just after the markets were closed for the week so that it would be there for monday morning but that's yeah that, that makes sense that, that makes sense um, while we're on the IPO topic, Molly, do you want to give us a little bit of an update on uh, the the the, uh, the story you talked about before with Newix? Yeah, so this is where the, the only thing I really have to add. Um, not too much of the story has changed since the last time we talked about this, other than the investigations are widening into the Newix IPO offering. There, you know, the company has come back now, you know, to make clear that that uh, so far no one's complaining about the product quality. Um, or its position in the market. Um, I'm not sure that's completely the case since they're also one of the issues is that they lost a significant part of their engineering um, that wasn't reported in advance of the IPO. Uh, so, you know, that, that's, that's all happening. But it, it, I thought it was interesting too, because once the, I, you know, a lot of this was uh, revealed because of the IPO and intense scrutiny of the business model um, and finances after the offering. So that I just wanted to bring that up because I just thought this is interesting if you're not really prepared to, you know, open up your books and, and, and be pretty transparent, that, that could be, that could be a mistake. And so it'll be interesting. Just, just I'm a, curious. a nutshell of what it was that, that happened uh, here, because we, in case anybody missed the show last oh. week or something. <laughs> so yeah, so Newix uh, launched its IPO in December. Um, to an enormous amount of fanfare in Australia, and uh, then and um, then immediately the the headlines now are um, dissecting the implosion of Newix um, because of the IPO because there are uh, lots of questions about the regulatory structure. The stock prices have plummeted. I think one of the articles I read said that um, investors have lost 2.9 billion dollars so far since December. Um, this last stock price I saw, I, I think it opened at a high of um, over $12 and it's now down to like less than $3. Um, so yeah, pretty, pretty big, <laughs> big, big issue. I, I just, I don't know what that means. I don't cover this area enough to know what that means for the company. It doesn't sound like it's, it's good for the company overall either. 
Um, that was sort of a sideline. The main story you want to talk about this week was was a different one. You want to uh, you want to do that while you have the floor here? Sure. You know, this is kind of interesting. I, I really, I want, I hope Sam uh, can join us sometime from Bloomberg uh, to talk about some of his stories. Um, Bloomberg apparently, uh, Bloomberg Law. I invited did some Sam kind of, a number of times. He's always busy. Yeah, he, there's some, he, they did some kind of FOIA um, and I'm not sure what that, they didn't reveal in the piece what they did that for and came across a letter from the chair of the, um, um, the ABA's uh, innovation Oh my gosh, Commission, seriously? Why can't I think it? Innovation Commission. Center for Innovation. <laughs> Center for Innovation, seriously. Um, and uh, apparently Don Bivens uh, had been in touch with the um, head of uh, Deloitte who, who also serves on um, the Center for Innovation's um, one of these groups that's, we've talked about this before, they're, they have a pilot or they have a project where they're trying to uh, um, create metrics for, uh, web, uh, it's a metrics project to see if they're, um, whether the deregulation and re regulatory changes are having an impact on access to justice. Um, so it was somewhere in that scheme, but it was revealed through that letter that um, the, the big four um, supposedly are holding off entering into the market until um, more states or all the states fall in, uh, change their regulatory schemes. I'm not sure that's completely true. Um, the, the article made that made that assertion. Uh, I think that it's very clear that the big four are staking their claim uh, in the in the United States. They're beefing up their teams, expansively beefing up their teams. Um, and so I, I just I somewhat dispute some of the the um, arguments in the piece, but I just I I'm I've been um, interested to see kind of what else comes out of that reporting thread. Well, that's, I mean, that's sort of saying the big four is holding off is, is I mean, this sort of goes back to, to Joe's point of LegalZoom saying they're not a law firm. I mean, they're, they're already, several, you know, they're launching Deloitte's, Deloitte, who else? Has got, I mean, they've launched legal specific practices in the United States that are, they're described as, you know, sort of ancillary, you know, support kinds of services, but, you know, they're big, bringing in big talent and big names and uh, they're, they're, they're not, they're not being too shy, I don't think. Yeah, no, they're they're full-fledged legal services units, and different, and they're not technically practicing in the United States, but that doesn't mean they're not serving and advising clients um, yeah. with business services, including legal. Yeah. Nor does it mean that they're not siphoning work off from law firms that law firms have historically done, which I think, I mean, I think they have very specific targets among the, the law firm community, and uh, you know, I don't think they're sitting on their hands <laughs> yeah and, and, and it makes can... sense that they would be like at least a little bit cautious just because i mean you know, look what happened to arthur anderson you know like if sometimes you know you you know if you're if you're that aggressive right out of the gate you know or use a different word for aggressive and that's in that standpoint but you know it's it's one of those things where like maybe 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 it would be smart to kind of wait and see how things play out i mean they're not going anywhere they're not it's not like they're gonna you know all of a sudden go out of business if they don't jump on this opportunity right now so i mean i i think i think i think it's a smart play Mostly, yeah. unless all the um, or the majority of jurisdictions allow it, sometimes it can uh, it can be too difficult to figure out w which jurisdiction are we necessarily practicing in at this in this particular point in time, and does this jurisdiction allow us to practice there or not in the way that we want to do this? So it's just as 
that in and of itself may be too much of a um, upfront issue and they don't wanna get dinged left and right by um, in different matters. So it's better to just wait. And that way you can just have this blanket, we're doing business now in the US and it's gonna make it a lot easier. So they're not gonna end up with ethics violations or something that ends up or lawsuits that shut them down, which has happened with some other companies on slightly different issues. But when lawyers get mad and start suing, the legal costs add up and that can uh, isn't really worth it either. So it's interesting. Zach, we're going to yeah, say something. Of course, one, one of the advantages that the big four have is they, they have ears, the ears of corporate America. And, you know, they're, they're a little bit different than uh, some of the alternative legal service providers that are an unknown commodity. I mean, big four are well-known and have in many cases have the ability to influence business units and in-house counsel um, to to send work various, to various cooperative or non and away from non-cooperative law firms. And so there's it's quite a it's quite a big elephant. In I, I think yeah. there's an interesting sort of dance going. I'm sorry, go ahead, Zach. Uh, I think actually I might be making the same point that you were looking at right there, Bob, which is I feel like an alternative headline to that story isn't necessarily that they're talking about not entering the market right now, but more they're talking about the market right now. Um, even the fact that there's that they're acknowledging that there's an opportunity there, um, I think is noteworthy. And it's not necessarily something that they were doing five or so years ago, because even when we would talk with them, Deloitte EY would say, uh, we have our services division, but we're concentrating everything legal focused in Europe right now, because that's what we can do in the UK. You're not hearing that so much. There's kind of a deafening silence, in my opinion. And when you see an email like that, it makes me think, well, even if they're purposefully not running afoul of rules, they're definitely gearing up for something. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think it goes even farther than that. I think, I do think both De, both Deloitte and EY, I think, are the ones that that have very expressly launched U.S. legal operations. Uh, you know, they're targeted at the U.S. corporate legal sector. Uh, and so what I was going to say is you have this interesting dance going on between you've got the big four sort of quietly, well, not so quietly, targeting the corporate legal sector. You've got the ALSP market targeting the corporate legal sector. And then, of course, you have the law firms that always targeted the corporate legal sector targeting them. Uh, I, I thought it was an interesting, st another story that came out of the past week was that uh, Factor uh, kind of announced this new sort of productized way of working with law firms to better serve the corporate legal market. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it struck me you know, it's it's a legitimate product, and they've sort of done something similar with with Allen and Overy and Aiken Gump in the past. But it sort of struck me that this is also sort of a uh, you know a, a way to kind of play nice with both law firms and corporate legal at the same time, uh, and and maybe uh, come out that much higher uh, in this uh, in this competition as a result of doing that. Um, all right, I thought it was interesting yeah. in Frank's piece about that when he said um, factors going after like law firms because law firms are hearing from their clients, corporate clients that need to be more efficient, you know, time and cost efficient. So there's a market there. And it's just kind of interesting that like the LSPs, they're going after law firms, clients, the corporate legal departments. Now they're also going after law firms. And it's just kind of like, okay. And it's just, 
it'll be interesting to see like, will that become a bigger part of like their um, client base? Right now, of course, it's corporate legal departments, but will more law firms just say, hey, we'll outsource some of this work to you guys. And it isn't just regular document review, which kind of stuck out to me. Yeah, yeah I, I thought it was kind of kind of funny. I, I talked to them too and they were like, well, you know, what we really aim to do is take away a lot of the work that junior associates have done. So we would free up these junior associates to do more creative and enjoyable kind of work. And I was like, yeah, free up, maybe the right term. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from an economics standpoint, it probably makes sense from a law firm, I don't know, culture and hierarchy, it may not make sense. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is that school of thought which I don't agree with, but there's a school of thought that all this document review and sort of sort of bottom feeding kind of work that associates have to do or traditionally have to do is the type of training that they need to be excellent lawyers, as in we will we will haze you and you know make you pay for being a newbie for a few years before we initiate you into the club. <laughs> Yes, Steve, so, that goes into, oh, real quick, go um, that goes into like um, this article I had this week where I spoke to some law schools about legal ops and are they preparing their students with that with like courses or at least like telling them like, hey, this is a career option. When I spoke to um, Southern University Law Center's, um, I guess is like their law dean, their chancellor, John Pierre, he mentioned that like with the um, advent of like contract review, AI powered contract review, like the review that those software is doing, that's what um, junior associates would have done at law firms. And now they're kind of like, okay, you have a little bit less work to do. You still need to stick out in the market. And he said, that's why they're preparing them with like legal ops type of um, education by preparing them for like how to work in a business. And, you know, also with contracts, it was like, okay, contract AI, contract review is taking away some of the analytics. You still need to be able to help your clients with like finding, um, negotiating and finding certain things in contracts. So it's interesting that he brought that up. I've heard that before, like technology is kind of changing, but look, some law schools are feeling like we need to prepare our students to do a little bit more because technology is already doing that work. So interesting. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Um, Nikki, uh, will lawyers use technology differently after the pandemic? <laughs> well, I thought there was an interesting um, <clears throat> survey from uh, a, sur a report, really, from, um, uh, let me, just, I know it's ALN, I want to make sure I get it right, um, that Ari Kaplan did with um, American, yeah, yeah, Legal American Legal Netting. Yeah, 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 American Legal Netting. And um, I, I mean, it's an interesting survey asking uh, lawyers um, in large, larger firms, how the pandemic impacted their practice and um, sort of future facing, how did they see things going in the future? And what really stood out to me was they were like, well, you know, turns out we can operate remotely. Not only can we operate remotely, we can actually be profitable. But, you know, now that everything's getting back to normal, we really should just bring everyone back to the office. Was sort of the gist I got. We could do it, but we don't think we really want to keep doing it. Um, and all that, and we realized that you know we can use less real estate and um, save money that way. And uh, and especially the litigators, which I understand, we're more like we want to get back into courtrooms. We want to be back in front of the witnesses. But I also got the sense that it was not just litigators. And um, it, it will be really interesting to see how this plays out. And um, 
this sort of piggybacks on what Steve's going to talk about, but I get the sense that employers, both in legal and outside of legal, are um, a lot of them are like, listen, we're eager to get back to the office. This seems to be the everyone's eager to get back to the office to collaborate with their colleagues. And uh, sure, we're going to be open to remote work, but we're eager to get back to the office. And so they're going to like drag everyone into the office is what I'm sensing. And half of the employees I would just sort of randomly throw out there are like, no, 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 no. We're not all eager to get back to the office. Don't speak for us. And it will be super interesting. And this is what Steve's going to talk about a little more in depth, but to see how that's going to play out in terms of, you know, employees have a choice, they can walk. And so, you know, I, I, I'll sort of hand the, um, throw the football, I don't know, throw the ball over to- Pass the um, baton. Something, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. this out of my square to Steve and see what he has to say about that. I, I was, I was, as I was listening to you, I was thinking of, of your earlier, quote where you said running a running a law firm without a business mindset which is like a little bit of like what this exactly is um you know and I, I, I see the same things you are you see Nikki I mean the, the law firm partners seem to want everybody back in the office to the to the point of you are strongly strongly underlined encouraged to be in the office uh and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know what that means. Um, and that's, it seems to be seeing that more and more though is this, this somewhat counterintuitive notion that uh, there are more, there, there is more demand for law firm associates than there is supply. And the market is, is super hot and law firms are reaching all over the place to, to try to find good associates, no matter where that they are. Um, and many of these younger associates, they want the flexibility of working at home. And so now we've got this sort of clash between law firms who have traditionally been able to say, by God, this is how you're going to do your work uh, and, and not being able and, and associates really having little little cloud or punch to say, no, thanks. I don't want to do it that way. And I'm not going to. And if you want to make me do that, I'll just go across the street to somebody else that will They'll have better better working conditions. It seems to be kind of it seems to be kind of ripe right now for this this clash. And I think that may be why some law firms are really sort of struggling with how do we come back to work now? What what are the new rules? And how do we how do we make this uh, function in a way that uh, gets what everybody desires, which is the opportunity to collaborate where, where necessary, the opportunity to do effective training where necessary, but yet have the appropriate flexibility to let people work at home when they need to and when they need to, as opposed to you know certain times of the day. So I think it's gonna be um, interesting to see how this plays out. I'm not sure in this tug of war, who's gonna win right now, but it's, it's kind of fascinating. We see law firms running around begging for talent and at the same time, you know, pushing the talent out the pushing the would-be talent out the door on the other side. Paying uh paying first years two hundred and five thousand will also uh help keep some people at their firm, hopefully. That's <laughs> yeah. the that's the with new a significant bonus raise. With a significant yeah. bonus on top of that. Yeah. 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 I don't know if anybody saw that. I, I wrote a piece this week about this uh they called it a uh a statement, I guess, that came out of this committee on lawyer wellness in, in Massachusetts. It's a committee of our high court 
uh, Heidi Alexander is the executive director of this committee. It's a standing committee, and she's a lot of people know her from the. Uh, she was a former tech show chair and started the uh, help found the the ABA uh, Women of Legal Tech Initiative. That may not be the right name of it, but but uh, I mean this 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 is a statement that came out. It says it came out of this committee, but in talking to Heidi. This was endorsed by the justices of our Supreme Judicial Court, which doesn't, it never says this in the statement, which seems to me that's sort of like burying the lead, because this is a statement that says all law firms should, you know, basically henceforth adopt hybrid work as the norm, not as a, not as an exception for certain people, but as the norm. And it, it makes the point that this is this is a matter of lawyer wellness in part, that there are a lot of people for whom it's a real struggle to have to go to the office uh, and, and that they are fully capable professionals and fully capable of working as professionals without ever going into the office. Uh, you know, women, uh, people, caregivers of any kind, um, a, a lot of uh, people, minorities, uh, 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 you know, GLBTQ people, uh, for a lot of them, there's a lot of good reasons for them not to be in the office. Uh, and that, that in addition to a wellness issue, it's a, it's a, it's a diversity you know, an inclusion issue that that you know, law firms talk about how hard it is to attract a diverse workforce, uh, and and if they accept, if they adopt sort of hybrid workplace as the default, that's going to make it much easier for them to um, to attract and retain a, a diverse workforce. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, report. It it was you know it was kind of written about Massachusetts, but it is nothing at all uh, provincial about it. I mean, it applies across the country. Yeah, and I, yes. think, I think to your point, Bob, it's not just a question of reta retaining. It's also a question of, pr of promotional opportunities as well. Um, because, you know, people with caregiving responsibilities, given their correct flexibility to, to do their work, can, you know, can do good work and, and may have a better opportunity to be promoted as a result versus what's happened in years past. Yeah. Yeah, and I spoke to um, some disabled attorneys um, about like how remote working has been for them, been for them during the past like year plus of um, the pandemic. And they said it's really been for the ones that I spoke to. They said it's really been helpful for them, and kind of like the commute, the daily commute was actually something that was. Um, drain them of energy and just kind of like working from home allowed them, of course, maybe they could kind of overwork, but they could be more focused and, and they said more productive by, by working remotely. And they said they had always asked like law firms, like, hey, could we have more like remote flexibility? And it was kind of like this um, uh, undertone of just like, it's better for you to come into the office. And speaking to one Reed Smith partner, he said like this finally showed because everyone had to work remotely that, hey, you can work um, from home and it's not like an inferior type of working, like you still can be productive. And he was saying like, he hopes like that continues so you can have, you know, more um, disabled attorneys and just business um, professionals in the law firms working and they can be disabled and they don't feel like, oh, if I'm commuting and going in every day, you know, that'll drain me of a lot of energy and dealing with that. So that was like interesting. And I didn't think about it, like how were disabled attorneys dealing with working remotely? And it sounds like it's been um, really helpful for them. Yeah. And it's, it's just, you don't talk about it. I, I was speaking uh, uh, yesterday to um, uh, somebody who was talking about somebody they know who went through a, uh, uh, a law firm, a lawyer at a, at a law firm who, who uh, 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 transitioned uh, 
went through a sexual transition, gender transition over the past year, uh, who felt like she finally had the freedom to do that or the or the uh, space to do that because she wasn't in the office and didn't have to kind of deal with the, you know, the, the sort, of, sort of the pressures around around doing that in a more public way. Uh, I thought that was an interesting take that, you know, hadn't really thought about before. I just want to throw in, so I, I think that this, these all are great opportunities, these hybrid relationships, um, but they're firms that are um, run the risk of falling into really old and worse habits if, if they have less diverse folks coming into the office and they're not giving everybody equal opportunities to succeed, to train, and to advance. And I think, you know, that's going to be an opportunity for collaboration, uh, software, collaboration tools to really come in and, and for firms to adopt those to make sure that, you know, they're paying attention to the to their entire um, workforce and not just the people taking advantage of hybrid or, you know, excluding the people taking advantage of hybrid. Yeah, it's, I think that's something the that statement tries to make clear is that it's it's really got to be normalized in, in some way. It, it can't just be an exception for certain people. Uh, it, it has to be done in a way that makes it work for everybody and makes it feel normal, both for the people in the office and, and not in the office. But and that, and that might be one of these because I mean it's it, it's not normal for most law firms. I mean, right. you know, we're talking about an industry that's based so much on FaceTime. You know, are you at the office putting in the hours, even if you're just sitting at your desk doing nothing? Are you there at night? Are you there on weekends? Are you there? You know, when they call you in, you know, do you come in immediately and 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 drop everything you're doing and and do what you're supposed to do? Or you know, are you are you upholding the firm culture, whatever your firm culture is, like that kind of stuff? So I mean, that's why I was skeptical that. that 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 COVID would 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 cause a full scale, you know, rethinking of 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 the law firm culture. So just because so much of law firm culture is based on, yeah, you know, showing up to the office, going on the retreats, going on doing this, doing that, doing the meetings, and you know, I mean, until 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 we see kind of like a law firm, you know, really make the point, like as you said, that like, okay, well, that's one way to do things. We can do things a different way and have it be perfectly normal, and you know promote people based on, you know, not based on whether we see them at the office or not, then I think, then I think, you know, it's just that, that this is just going to continue where they're going to be like, okay, well, everybody come back and let's do things the way they, that, that, we, that we used to do. Let's do things, you know, how, how they were before the, before the pandemic started. So Victor, you've got a story this week uh, inspired by Clarence Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there were a lot of things I found interesting about this story, I guess. First of all, uh, so the Ohio Attorney General sued Google, um, uh, wanting it declared a public utility. Um, so there are a lot of interesting things with that lawsuit. Just you know, some of the some of the novel, the novel theories involved. Um, you know, I mean, obviously there's been sort of a sort of a. You know, Google's been Google's been looking at antitrust lawsuits. They've been looking at all these other kind of you know uh, complaints and whatnot. But I mean, just being someone actually taking the step and suing them and wanting them to be declared a public utility is a pretty big step, even if the lawsuit doesn't end up going anywhere, I guess. But it's just, it, was just, it was just really interesting just reading it through because first of all, the Thomas aspect was interesting because, you know, for those of us who have been, you know, following his career and whatnot, for the longest time, he was very, very much on the outer fringes of even right-wing thought. Like, I mean, even people who thought, even people who, who thought Scalia was to be his knee thought Thomas was way out there. So now you're seeing him actually influence policy and influence, you know, um, 
you know a, a pretty a pretty you know powerful state and whatnot like 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 a swing state like ohio where they're they actually are going to like take a concurrent not even a majority opinion a concurring opinion of his and say okay well let's do that and see what we can do with with google so i thought that was very interesting just the fact that uh, just how this came about and then the idea that like they're they're suing google because they want uh everything to be on everything be everything to be on there to have to be uh, treated equally and not you know it's, it's the same argument about how like conservatives are being silenced and how certain certain algorithms are supposedly uh censoring uh people based on their political beliefs it's like well you know i'm also old enough to remember when a lot of these people were also arguing against net, net neutrality and trying to get rid of that so which is it you know you want them to do this or you don't want them to do this so so it'll be interesting to see where it goes i mean ultimately you know this is still in the beginning stages and i you know google's going to have a lot to say about it but um, you know, I was, you know, considering, considering what happened in Florida with um, the law that was signed there just, uh, I guess, a couple weeks ago. It's interesting to, to, to see where things are going. Yeah, I do think it's kind of wild where pretty much one of the very few bipartisan um, things that people agree on is down with big tech. <laughs> like you saw with a lot of the hearings on Capitol Hill, normally you'd think uh, one side is going to stick up for whosoever there is testifying, the other side is not. But everybody was going after Zuckerberg, everybody was going after Google, going after Jack Dorsey. Um, it's for very different reasons, but it actually wouldn't surprise me if this gets a little bit of traction because I think that both sides really are unsatisfied with the way that a lot of these big tech companies are running. Yeah, I think legally it's an, it's an interesting issue. I mean, it, it may be out there, but it's, it's, it's one that's probably gonna get talked about. All right, that's all I got. Anybody want to get any rants or raves? Did I miss anybody? I didn't miss anybody. Um, yeah, mine was. Good. No, I, was, I did miss you, Zach. I'm sorry. Well, no, because I've been gone so long, I forgot about you. <laughs> no, I was too late. Mine was also the legal zoom and tap IPOs. Oh. But I just was going to mention, um, I still wouldn't have been here last week because I was judging a contest on Friday afternoon for Littler. Um, Littler did an innovation contest where they essentially had all the associates in the firm say, come up with something cool, a new idea. It could either be internal or external, uh, just has to be innovative in some way. And we'll get an external panel of judges of which I was one and see what both has the best design is the most practical and that we should frankly invest our money in. Um, and I thought it was really cool because it was a really interesting combination of finalists where there were some that were technology based, like there was a data privacy internal tool just to track all the different regulations that could be shared with, uh, with in-house clients. There was an insurance tool where you could um, basically check to see whether you were compliant with the ADA and other applicable regulations and kind of took you through a decision tree there. But there were also just some marketing and workflow type tools. Like there was one of the finalists was uh, of basically instituting a veterans committee at the firm and making sure that not only were veteran voices heard both internally and with clients, but also using that in firm marketing and saying, hey, Littler is a veteran friendly law firm um, and putting in a workflow to make sure that all that went through. So I just thought it was interesting in terms of uh, a lot of times 
firms talk about innovation and say, we're trying to do new things, we're coming up with ideas, but don't really put in a protocol for doing so. And that was one thing that kind of impressed me is just the fact that the competition existed in the first place and it didn't really peter out. They went through with it all the way to the end. And uh, one of the people who was also in the judging committee was the head of technology for the firm. And she said, yeah, I like, I already know we're putting in money to some of these ideas. They're good ideas. So just as a way to generate ideas, but also show the associates that you already have in the firm, Hey, we care about what you have to say. I thought was kind of cool. Chalk that up to a rave. We haven't had ransom raves in a while. That yeah, that was like a rave. rave. We don't have many raves. It's mostly rants here. I've actually got a rave this week. I've got, I'll mention the Canadian Judicial Council, uh, which this week put out a revised set of ethical guidelines for judges, Canadian judges. Uh, and for the first time, the ethical guidelines include a basically a, a call for judges in Canada to be proficient in legal technology and also in social media. Uh, we have no counterpart for judges in the United States that I'm aware of. Uh, and, you know, we all, we've talked a number of times on this show and I write a lot about, and I know Nikki writes a lot about the duty of technology competence, but uh, I thought it was pretty significant that they, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it totally makes sense that judges should need to be proficient in technology. Not only do they now use technology all the time, but so many of the issues that come before them and their courts are going to implicate technology in some way. So good for Canada. And there's a few. I sometimes write about judicial ethics opinions, usually in New York, just because that's where I'm located. And I write in, in the Daily Record, which is a New York publication. But there's some ethics opinions that talk about um, judges needing to understand. Typically, it's like social media, if they're going to use them for their judicial campaigns or something. Um, but there are like some judicial ethics opinions that touch on that. And I'm pretty sure they talk about I could be wrong. It's been a while since I looked at one of those, but you know, this idea of needing to stay technologically competent, even if they don't talk about the a specific duty in order yeah. to um, do their jobs correctly and also understand the issues in some of the cases that come before them as well. So yeah. Yeah. It's definitely this, is, this is right in the code of, I mean, like the ABA is a model code of judicial conduct, I think it's called. And, and I know a number of states, I know Massachusetts does where I am, have a code of judicial conduct. And none of those codes that I'm aware of in, in the United States have that in there, like like the model rules of professional conduct do. And like 39 states have now adopted. But anybody else want to rant or rave about anything? All right. Well, then that does it for this week. 